It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Thanks for listening to Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rowles. And I'm Jeff Essery. Just wanted to thank everyone again for all the support as we've gotten this thing rolling. Once again, a quick reminder that if you have any questions or comments, if they're negative, hit up Joe Rowe <laughs> underscore NFL. If they're positive, hit up at Jeffrey Essery. I'm kidding. Hit both of us up on Twitter. Um or cover two Broncos on Twitter as well. Um, you know, happy to address any questions and chat with you folks on there. And uh, we'll be getting into some questions on one of our next episodes. Got a lot of questions coming in on the draft, and so really excited to dig into those. So thanks so much for engaging with us, and let's keep it rolling. So what do we got going on today, Jeff? Yeah, so now that free agency is kind of wrapped up, um, we're moving past at least a big part of it. Shelby Harris is back in the fold on a really great deal. I think, you know, we're kind of officially moving towards that draft season. So, you know, we've been talking about this, Joe. I think it'd be a fun exercise. I think it was your idea to, to do this. I love it. Um, is really do a bit of a mock draft, but kind of a twist on it. Um, so tell us what the twist is for this mock draft that we're, you know, Draft is a um, loose term that we're using today on it, but tell us what we're doing. So one of the things I've seen a lot in on draft Twitter, I guess, for Broncos fans is saying Denver needs to draft wide receiver or Denver needs to draft blah, blah, blah. 
And it turns into a lot of times a debate about what positions are valuable. And so I thought it would be interesting to kind of make a quasi mock draft looking at positions and their value to the Broncos systems. We're stripping it down. So we're taking quarterback out of it because quarterback is obviously the most important position in football. It's really simple. But after that, we're looking at if you're building a team, you have a quarterback, but you're building a team from there. What are the most important positions and how should they be prioritized? Yeah, and I think it's a uh, we can assume as well that the coaching staffs are in place. And if we're applying this to Denver, you know, you've got Pat Shermer in there for the offense. You've got Vic Fangio. And so we know kind of what the offensive systems that both of those guys run. But then just in general, I think at least I'm operating under the assumption with my picks that you have a coaching staff that can utilize these players to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. And that's Same. that's a bit of a pipe dream maybe, you know, for potentially half the NFL um, or at least a third of it with their coaching staffs. But that's what we're assuming today. And so, you know, let's assume we've got scheme and everything in place, coaching staff in place, quarterback of the future in place. How do you fill out the roster from there is where kind of where our heads are at and where we started. Yeah. So do you want to get started off, Jeff? What would be the first pick of the draft if you could pick any position after quarterback? Yeah, I'm going back to 2011 and picking a pass rusher. Denver did it then, and it's, um, you know, played out pretty well for them. But, you know, whether it's Von Miller specifically, I just think pass rusher across the board, it can be an interior or an edge guy. Um, either one, you look at a guy like Aaron Donald, you look at a guy like J.J. Watt when he was in his prime, someone that you can move around ideally. And I think J.J. Watt's a great example of that, of, you know, he bills as an interior player, but you can move him around. He even played some edge a little bit with the Texans. Um, but a guy that can create matchup problems all across the defensive line and really who's a game wrecker at the point of attack to me is the big thing because it causes offenses to scheme you know, how to block them. It's giving the offensive coordinator headaches as they're game planning, or they just run the plays away from them. And so you can kind of dictate essentially to the offense where, you know, as a defense, you're used to getting dictated to. And so this allows you to turn the tables a little bit. And we see this with Denver all the time. People either just run away from Vaughn Miller or when they try to run to Vaughn Miller, it doesn't work out super well. And so I think having that key guy on the defensive line, whether he's an edge guy or interior who is, Primarily a pass rusher, but really a disruptor and kind of a game wrecker there in the trenches. Well, that was one of the reasons why I was so opposed to all the talk about trading Von Miller last year, too. Uh, and, I, and I got it at the time. The argument was, oh, well, Denver's so far away. They're never going to win games. You might as well trade Von Miller and get assets. The thing is, like, Von Miller, even at 31, for, there's two parts to that. Even at 31, Von Miller is still a difference maker on your team and for how valuable pass rushers are. But secondly... All it took was fixing the quarterback position, and all of a sudden Denver was back to winning games. You're never so far away that you should trade your best players for nothing just because you're bad. Yeah, absolutely, and especially when you look at, you know, if, if you're going to take this hierarchy, and I think you've got, I'm peeking a little bit at yours, I think you've got pass rusher somewhere in the top five as well. You know, when you've, yep. got, a, a, you've got a position that is a top five in terms of importance to your franchise, you don't liquidate that position particularly, you know. Um, and one, one of the things, and I'll go off on a quick tangent really quick, and, and I've, oh, said, well, I've, I mean, I've said this before, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but to me, like, after you get to coaching staff and quarterback, 
as the top, you know, things that cause people to be successful. If you look back at past Super Bowl teams, I think everybody, like after every Super Bowl, everybody goes back and it's like, oh, what did they do? Let's copy it. It's, you know, it's a copycat league, right? So, you know, the Patriots win with a power running game style and everyone's like, oh, they're bringing power running game back. You need to be able to run the ball. Or, you know, Denver wins with a great defense. Oh, you got to have a great defense in order to win Super Bowls. So everybody tries to put that thing on there. But I don't think it's necessarily one particular thing that you can pluck from each Super Bowl team as much as it is the fact that I think you could pretty confidently look across at least the last five to six years, because I've done it recently, is they had, at least the people that were in those games or in the running, they had something that was different than the rest of the league. They had a difference maker or a differentiator at some position group. And it was in, you know, to me, it would be in these kind of top five or 10 position group rankings. Um, I mean, you look at the Titans and they even had even Derrick Henry as a difference maker at running back and it didn't, it didn't do them so well, but you, you know, you want to have a difference maker at a position that makes a difference. If that, if that makes no, sense. Right. I definitely, I definitely agree. And, while I – and, again, I'm, we're going to get to this in a second. While I don't have pass rushers the number one position, it's in that top tier. And the other thing is I think this goes back to the thing that you and I discussed I think a couple weeks ago now is that I do believe that you need to have difference makers. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the most important positions, but you need to have them. And I also think judging, judging your team based on how it matches up with the Super Bowl team each year is one of the reasons why a lot of teams in the NFL are stuck in mediocrity. They're trying to copy the most recent trends instead of actually setting out to build what their roster is already ready to do and right. maximize it. Right. And that's one of those things that makes the Patriots so good with Bill Belichick is he constantly adapts to take advantage of the advantages he already has on his roster. That's one of the biggest problems with the people that have gone on to work for other teams and try and copy the Patriot way. They're trying to copy things that he did well instead of actually going out and maximizing what the roster already has. And in that way, they're already not successfully copying the Patriot way. They're doing their own thing, and they're a shadow. Uh, my number one most important position, the one I would draft first if I was drafting by positions, is actually wide receiver. And my rationale for this is if quarterback is the most successful position in football, and I do, I think offense in today's NFL is going it, it has more impact on winning games, and it's more consistent from year to year. I think the best way to put your quarterback in a position to succeed is to have a true top-tier wide receiver one. And I would prioritize getting that guy. So, and I think it's that simple. I think you can build your offense around having that guy and having that connection with the quarterback. Yeah, and I really like the connection to the quarterback thing because, you know, your quarterback is the guy that you're going to build your offensive around. He's the one who's touching the ball the most. And if you have a guy that, you know, if they have a connection, they have chemistry, and they can be the primary playmakers, I think it can make up for a lot of things around them. Or at least, you know, to me, it's a great place to start building your offenses. You've got a, you've got your quarterback. Now you've got to have, you know, a main guy that he can throw it to. So I love it. So who's your number two? Number two to me would be um, CB1 or corner – essentially your top DB and I know I'm going defense heavy immediately, but I'm assuming that, you know, you have your quarterback to start. So that's, you've kind of got one tick in the offensive bucket. So focus on defense first. Um, I think, I mean, it's kind of to your point, it's the counter a bit to your, you know, number one, if the number one wide receiver is the most important thing to the offense outside of the quarterback, 
then you've got to have guys that can match up with those. And there's so many talented players, you know, in the league today from the wide receiver position. I think you've got to have a guy that you feel comfortable putting out there on an island occasionally. And, you know, tying it in specifically to Denver, people that talk about Vangio not valuing corners, they just haven't watched the tape. I mean, they haven't watched Denver last year flounder without them. I don't care what your scheme is, you know, at the NFL level, you have to have guys that can cover one-on-one at some point. You know, you can hide guys here and there, but at some point within the game, um, and particularly on third down, when offenses are so good at, you know, spreading you out and forcing you to defend one-on-one, um, I think you have to be able to. And so I think you've got to have a guy that can match up and go toe-to-toe with those talented wide receivers. So cornerback one for me. I agree. That's Cornerback one would be my number two as well. Ideally, in a perfect world, I want a cornerback one who can draw a lot of targets but still completely shut it down just because I do think that that has value because then they're throwing it in a non-efficient way. Uh, that said, a cornerback who can just erase a receiver from the game is so valuable that I would gladly take that as well. Offenses are too good in today's NFL to just count on lesser cornerbacks on critical downs. What do you got for number three? Number three the is offensive tackles, and I cheated a little bit here because I'm going for both offensive tackles. So it's two players, really, within this. We're jumping back over to the offensive side. And I really do this because I think the distinction between left tackle and right tackle is pretty much negligible these days. Um, it's clear that teams need at least starter quality level from both of their their OTs and if I could have the choice between elite left tackle and you know average to poor right tackle I would probably bring those back into balance more and have two good tackles if that makes sense on the right and the left side because I think the blind side thing matters less today in the NFL more teams are running shotgun and I do think that having two offensive tackles that can, you know, pass block and really set the edge in the running game I think we saw with the San Francisco 49ers what they could do when they had, you know, these again not elite guys necessarily at tackle but both tackle positions were solid and even uh, I mean you look at what New Orleans did at that position Tennessee even had really good starting tackles and then Kansas City you know I mean Eric Fisher is not a world beater but you know he did all right and then Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle is you know probably the best right tackle in the game and then you know I mean Philly has great tackles as well and so I think to me that's a a big piece of your offense um, as you're building because you got to you got to build the offensive line in front of your quarterback be able to protect him and if the NFL is a passing league I think you've got to have both your tackles be able to compete against some of the top edge rushers today. The idea that you can just have a right tackle and he's like a road grader and he doesn't actually have to be able to move. That comes from an era when I think teams were comfortable keeping a tight end in to block and they just didn't face the kind of speed on the edges that they do now. And so I, I agree with the idea that you need two tackles and essentially they have to be two left tackles as as the kind of common narrative sent seems to realize or uh, recognize them, if that makes sense, just because if you don't, you either need to protect them by either scheme or with help, or they're going to get exposed. And I think that's one of the more interesting things with uh, even like you look at Baltimore and Orlando Brown's really good, 
But Orlando Brown also plays in one of the more run-heavy offenses that has a lot of tight ends playing next to him. And I'm, I don't necessarily think he would be as successful if he was playing in, say, the Chiefs offense for that reason. And so it comes down to scheme, but I think for what the Broncos are looking to do, they need two good tackles, and I think that's really important. Uh, that said, my my third position would be wide receiver two. Uh, ideally, uh, I think that that receiver needs to be able to either play inside or outside, or he needs to provide basically like that vertical element. Ideally, both, but you need between your two wide receivers, one of them has to be able to factor in as a slot weapon, and the other one has to be able to attack the deep deep range of the field and again for me it just comes back to again the idea that your passing offense is king now if you want to win every every year in the nfl you need a quarterback who can consistently move the ball through the air and the best way to do that is to give him weapons that can open up the field for him yeah i can't disagree there i mean you're building some star wars numbers here uh i mean you go back to the the peyton manning days of you know julius thomas and uh, Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas, and I mean, and I think the biggest thing that people talk about with Kansas City too is obviously you got Patrick Mahomes, but you have that entire track team that he's throwing to, and so yeah, I do think it is important to surround your surround your quarterback with as many weapons as possible. And on that note, my fourth, so for me, I've got pass rusher, cornerback, two offensive tackles. Now we go to the fourth uh, group, and it's wide receiver one. I hadn't talked to that one yet. And it's, you know, for the same reasons that you said, I think you need someone who, to me, someone who dictates coverage on the outside. Um, they're going to garner the safety's respect. And then also that they can win one-on-one on the outside too. And so whether that's, you know, separation like an Antonio Brown or jump balls, like we see with Cortland Sutton, just, you know, out muscling guys and not to say Cortland doesn't separate, but you know, as we've seen some of the massive plays that he makes with jump balls, or it's with speed. I don't care. Um, you know, any of those options, just give me a guy who can win on the outside and can take over a game um, when called upon. You know, and you look at guys like Odell Beckham, and, um, I, you know, I mentioned Antonio Brown, and I think Cortland Sutton is that guy and can be, you know, he showed he can be that guy last year, and, you know, that was just his breakout season I think he can continue to grow and so you know in that regard I think Denver does check the box and Cortland Sutton fits into that mold I agree and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about Cortland Sutton is when he was coming out in the draft everyone was focused on the 40 time and again I get it because 40 times are kind of the easiest way to see speed but one of the things that people overlooked and you brought this up in the past is Cortland Sutton's agility drills were insane and so for a bigger receiver to be able to move in a straight line like he does and then also to be able to move laterally like he does, once he started to figure out how to run routes this past year, you started to really see him just kind of make fools of opponents. And so I think the sky's the limit with him, and it's really exciting to see what he could give Locke going forward because I think Locke is going to be the kind of quarterback to give his receiver chances, even if it's like cluttered. And I, I think Cortland Sutton's going to win those more often than he's going to lose those. And he finally has a quarterback who's truly going to give him a chance on. So it's exciting. Yeah, and I think one more thing quickly before we jump on to your number four is, you know, I think both of us would agree that our number one wide receiver, too, has to be a, a high-volume guy from a target perspective. You know, you look at a guy like a Michael Thomas or 
Um, I mean, Cortland Sutton, who was, I think he was number one in the league in his team's target share. And so yep. I mean, you have to have a guy who can be relied upon, you know, consistently and be that primary target who can, you know, soak up all those catches. Um, and it doesn't always have to be big plays, but a guy who can move the chains and keep things going and, you know, feel comfortable being that high volume guy. I think in a lot of ways, wide receiver ones now are similar to what a true like warhorse type of running back is from like 10, 15 years ago. Ooh, that's a and good I just comparison. And I just don't think like the, 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 like the national narrative has really picked up on that yet, but I think that's what it is. He's essentially your go-to running back, except he's in the passing game. So he's a receiver. Man, I like that. That's, that's really good. I hadn't thought about it that way before, but yeah, you, and you look at a guy like Michael Thomas, mm-hmm. who has double digit catches, you know, um, and, 19 to 20 targets almost per game. Um, I'd have to pull up the stats to see exactly what he averaged, but, um, or even, you know, even a Christian McCaffrey type guy who's doing that in the passing game as well from a target perspective. Yeah. The, the, that's, it's a great comparison of they're the new kind of bell cow of the offense. So my number four is actually the tackles. So we weren't that far off here. And I, I have them just a little bit lower because I do think a good quarterback and a good play caller can try to mitigate it a little bit. So if you're, if your tackles are a little bit exposed, you can kind of help there. Uh, but I do think you need at least one tackle who can just completely survive on their own without help. Uh, the best offenses have at least one, usually both uh, for Kansas city. They have Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell Schwartz is the best right tackle in football. You look at New England for many, many years, basically got by with okay t- tackles, but Tom Brady's just that good, and it's the same thing with Peyton Manning. But you look at Tennessee, Tennessee had two good left uh, two good left tackles, essentially, except Jay Con- uh, Jack Conklin was on the right. Philly has prioritized tackles for so long, and that's why they went out and got Andre Dillard, even though they had Jason Peters, because the good teams recognize you need to have bookends. Yeah, totally agree. I think we're pretty. I mean, we're pretty close to aligned in terms of our our offensive structure for sure. So my next one, it it goes a little bit to your wide receiver too, but I've maybe I've cheated a little bit again. But I do think this is an important distinction. I think you need a mismatch offensive weapon, and I have this listed down as either a tight end, running back, potentially a slot. Um, and I may get some flack for this, putting the running back up this high, but. I think you look at a team like New England or even Kansas City, which has shown us over the last couple of years, is that you can essentially negate a team's strong secondary if they have like really strong corners. I mean, we're talking about, you know, these cornerback ones and cornerback twos. You can mitigate all of that by picking on the guys who naturally in a defense aren't um, geared toward coverage. You know, you have a tight end or a running back who's picking on linebackers and safeties. And what's the thing that we always talked about with Rob Gronkowski and now still with Travis Kelsey is who are you going to cover him with? You know, he's too big for a corner. Um, He lines up next to linebackers and safeties. You can't cover him with those guys. And so to me, a guy like that or even a running back like uh, Christian McCaffrey or you saw what New England did with James White or – you know, some of the guys that they had roll through there. I think it's important to have a mismatch. To me, it has to be like, to me, it's a compliment. So you've got your guy on the outside 
who's working on cornerbacks. He's dictating safety coverage. You've got to have a guy, to me, that works more of the intermediate middle of the field, um, can be an outlet guy, and then also picks on and stresses the linebackers and the safeties, particularly a guy who can be involved in the running game too. And so, I mean, I think that's what's so dangerous about tight ends and running backs is they're so dangerous off of play action because they're the guys covering them are typically going to be in conflict, whether they're covered by a receiver or a linebacker. You can draw them in either by, you know, fake blocking or, you know, a play action pass. And that's what we see teams do all the time with guys like Travis Kelsey. Is like he's hard enough to cover just one-on-one on his own. Now you add in the fact that the linebacker covering him or the safety covering also has a run fit, and it's game over. And so I think – having a mismatch offensive weapon that's either a tight end or a running back. You could maybe get away with a big slot or something like that, but I think he's got to be a movable chess piece for the offensive coordinator um, that he can exploit holes, particularly on the inside of the defenders. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm getting there. I, I don't have them up here, but I definitely think very highly of this player. And I think that's one of the things that has me so excited about Noah Fant is because I think that's what he can eventually be. And that's one of those things where when you get really caught up on the fact that Noah Fant's a tight end, you can really argue about how tight ends aren't valuable in traditional NFL offenses. But I think if you look at how Noah Fant could be used as essentially a big slot weapon or a mismatch weapon, his value goes up quite a bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pat Shermer coming in is really exciting is because Pat Shermer's going to use him in that way, and that fits his skill set. Yeah, yeah, and so I think it is encouraging tying this into Denver, the fact that they do have, you know, they've got a wide receiver one, and they've got a guy that can be that mismatch on on the um, offensive side. I do think he has a, a little bit of ways to go, and I'm excited. You know, we've talked about that a couple times on the podcast here. Of just, you know, I think the fit with Shermer is a really good one. And I will say too, for, you know, for the, the tight end isn't valuable conversation about people, you know, about picking a tight end in the first round, like Denver did last year. To me, the different, you know, the key differentiator that I was talking about earlier, or just having something different that the rest of the league doesn't have essentially what would make the rest of the league jealous. I mean, you think back to those 2013 days and, we haven't had a guy or Denver hasn't had a guy that the league was so jealous over besides Von Miller 
as Julius Thomas. You know, I mean, Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas were excellent, but most people were freaking out over Julius Thomas because he was such a mismatch and he had speed and he was he was uncoverable. You know, it was that famous, you know, he goes into the end zone and he's yelling, it's too effing easy. And it was for him that year. You know, obviously he had health issues and, you know, the longevity of his career wasn't great, but that one year it was something that was unique and it was different um, from the rest of the league and it set them apart. And you look at teams like New England with Rob Gronkowski and the, what the Chiefs are doing with Kelsey, and I think it's a, you know, it's a model. It's, it's something to, to set your offense apart from the rest of the league. I agree. Uh, so my number five is CB2. Uh and this is actually one of the big reasons why I've been calling for Denver to really go out and invest in a cornerback, whether it be in free agency or the draft, even after getting AJ Boye. And the reason for this is I look at what Denver currently has at CB2 and it kind of makes me nervous just because you have Bryce Callahan, but Bryce Callahan has never played a full season. You look at Devonte Bosby and Devonte Bosby had a really good game, but then he got hurt. Uh, outside of that, the CB2 room is kind of a lot of questions. Uh, and ideally, when you look at the secondary in the NFL, I think good secondaries are defined by the fact that their floor is really high, not necessarily by high, how high their ceiling is. And cornerback two is kind of the guy that ideally he can go inside or outside. He can kind of match up with whatever you need to worry about outside of the wide receiver one. And he's the guy that can kind of just – he doesn't necessarily win everything, but he can make plays – when opposing quarterbacks are trying not to throw it the CB one. And so I, I really like Denver to try and find that guy this year, just because this cornerback draft is going to, in the real draft, it's going to look pretty deep. There's definitely some options here for them to, to grab somebody. So. Yeah. And I would agree. I, and I think totally um, resonate with what you're saying in terms of the secondary's floor. And I think we saw last year, Denver suffering from not having that, you know, second cornerback. And we've seen the model kind of put forth with Denver in the old days with Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris, you know, to have those two guys on the outside. And um, I think we've seen it across the league as well with some other good defenses. And I think there's precedent for it too, just outside of Denver, is you look at what Vic Fangio did in 2018. I mean, the Bears' 2018 defense was, you know, top in the league and they had two really solid corners and it's what you're talking about maybe they didn't have the the number one number one guy but they had two really good ones who could pick up each other's slack in Prince of Mukamura and um, Kyle Fuller and so I think there is something to the idea of having two really solid corners to me it's almost like the tackle conversation and I don't know if I'd go this far but um, just spitballing it I wonder if it's if it's more valuable to have instead of an elite corner and an average corner, if you would dial that in again, kind of like I talked about with the tackles is where you bring the, bring it down to maybe you have a good, good to great corner and then a good corner opposite him, as opposed to elite and average, you have good and good across from each other. I think so. And, and I think in, when I, when I made my list, my list was originally geared, especially really geared towards like what Fangio, I think Fangio tries to do. And that's one of the reasons why I think CB2 is so important because you look at what the Bears did on defense and then you look go back and you look at what the Broncos were doing on defense. 
And you really see how Fangio kind of tried to make up for the fact that his CB2 and CB3 were just a revolving door all year. And it impacted everybody in the secondary. And granted, Denver's safeties were good enough to kind of kind of keep the damage from really exploding. But I think Denver's defense, the, the ceiling on the whole defense goes up quite a bit if that CB2 spot becomes more than just a spot, if that makes sense. Yep, yep, agreed. So for me, the next one is it's on the defensive side and we've got our CB1, we've got our pass rusher, I think, and specifically, you know, tying into Fangio's defense, I want a, and I just call it a middle of the defense point guard. And this could either be a safety or an inside linebacker. Think of a Roquan Smith type guy, um, or even Danny Trevathan, the way he played in 2018 with the Bears, or it's a safety you know, like a Kareem Jackson last year. Um, but I want a guy who's a playmaker in the middle of the defense who isn't necessarily like a deep free safety, um, although that's important. But I'm thinking more of a guy who is, you know, running around, making plays in the box, setting the tone, um, robbing guys over the middle, or it's that middle linebacker who is um, keeping everybody on the same page, make, making guys right from a gap perspective or a coverage perspective. I think because of the way Vic Fangio's coverages all work together so well, I think having a guy in the middle who can kind of make up for some of the deficiencies, um, specifically in the middle of the field, is important. And so, to me, it's one or the other. That makes sense. And I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about Alexander Johnson is because I think Alexander Johnson has the potential to be this player. Uh, and granted, we saw, obviously, like, we saw his play on the field. But I think as he kind of gets a better grasp of the system and then also kind of just really adjusts to NFL speed. Because, again, we it's easy to overlook this because Alexander Johnson just came in and kind of lit, lit everybody's hair on fire. But he was playing his first season after sitting out. So this is going to be the year where all of a sudden he's approaching the offseason, hopefully, as the fact that he's going to be a starter. We could actually see it decent takeoff as he kind of really grasps and owns the defense yeah i'm excited for the trajectory that you know he could potentially be on and even if you know if you look at denver what they have at the safety position you've got justin simmons and cream jackson who are kind of mm-hmm. interchangeable on the middle of that defense as well who kind of quarterback the secondary for sure and so yeah i think denver's in a good spot from up the middle of the field from this perspective i agree and i think in today's NFL, too, people want to attack the middle of the field. So having a strong down-the-middle part like Denver does actually probably did help mitigate, against some of the damage that they had from the problems in the secondary. So uh, so my number six is ed- edge one. And I know it feels weird sleeping on this position so long just because I think edge one is really, really important. But this is all a first-tier type of position for me. But I do think that you can scheme a pass rush a little bit more than you can make up for the fact that your secondary is booty. Uh, But that said, in an ideal world, you have at least one edge rusher who can win without help. And I think obviously Denver has that in Von Miller, and I think that makes a huge difference because even when everybody else on – everybody else kind of in the defensive front kind of fell off last year once Bradley Chubb got hurt, and the pass rush still kind of survived just because Von Miller was so good he drew so much attention – that everybody else was still able to get wins. So, and I think that's, that's very valuable. So my next one after that is staying on the defensive side. 
and it's essentially it's kind of that QB or CB2. Um, it's really I just put it as more secondary cover guys. You know whether it's another safety, so you have you know two safeties now, or you're adding another corner. And I think it goes into the point that we've talked about. You know defense is only good as its weakest link in coverage. And so whether that's a safety hybrid slot guy or your corner two, um, I think I mean you just got to have more secondary guys out there. I don't think you can ever have too many secondary players. Yeah. And it's weird to say that, but I think safeties and corners, they're also key contributors on special teams. So honestly, it's one of those things like when I build my Madden rosters, and again, if, in case you didn't know, I'm obsessed with Madden. <laughs> I, I, tend, I tend to carry 11 DBs just because, again, like it gives you so much speed on your coverage units too. So it's, it's not one of those things where you can really go too far overboard. And it, again, it raises the floor. So that's my number seven is safety one and two. Uh, and I think it's right in that same kind of like ballpark and same idea. Uh, but I do think for Fangio's defense in particular, it's worth noting that safeties are really important. Denver, Denver played more split field coverage. They play some, uh, they, they rely on their safeties more than a lot of defenses in the NFL. A lot of defenses in the NFL run essentially cover one, cover three. Ideally, Fangio wants to run more split field coverage, whereas most, most teams in the league will run a traditional free safety and then essentially a box player that'll be the eighth player in the box, but also can kind of play in that intermediate range and be a robber. But that's one of those things that Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons gives him. And I also think that's one of the reasons why Denver could definitely look to invest in another safety. So they don't have a fall off of Kareem Jackson slows down. Yeah. And I think you could look at this as a bit of a, like we're, we talked about before, or a lot of people are talking about with the, um, OT position is that you maybe draft a guy to play guard and then he shifts over to tackle. You could do the same thing as safety where you draft a guy, he plays slot, he's a bit of a hybrid, maybe third safety guy, and then he plays, you know, safety or is your backup safety and potentially does this. Um, once Kareem Jackson, you know, as he gets continues to age and get older, you've got some depth there. And so I think you can you can get a guy that's a bit more flexible on the back end and he can just be a kind of a coverage guy for you. So I think for our last, we're going to, I think for the sake of just trying to like kind of speedball through this, we're going to do a quick fire zone kind of touching on what are the next four position groups that you would say are really important? Yeah. So to quickly recap, um, we've got like for mine, I've got pass rusher. I've got a cornerback. I've got offensive tackles. I've got a number one wide receiver, a mismatch on the offense, and then a middle defensive guy. And then maybe a, you know another secondary guy. So I think from there, um, I want another interior or edge, another D line presence. So if your pass rusher was an interior guy at the very top of the you know draft, um, I think you'd want the edge or vice versa. So I just more interior or edge D line presence, um, another disruptor. I think interior O-line, you need at least one strong player on the interior who can be used, you know, for pulls or setting the tone in the run game. I want another speedy mismatch on the offensive side. So that's either a wide receiver two or some type of burner in the slot or even a running back that you can split out. Um, something, you know, really got some speed to add some dynamism to your offense. And then another pass rusher or another corner cover guy. So again, you know, those two positions you can't have enough of. You look at what San Francisco has done on the defensive line of just stacking talent up or, you know, it's just what we've talked about as well on the secondary. You can't have too many secondary guys. So I think either one of those players. 
So I think for me, the next most most important position is a three technique or an interior pass rusher. And I think that's one of those things that's really exciting about Draymond Jones is that I do believe Fangio really likes him enough that he has those kind of ideas for him. After that, I think CB3, uh, ideally that's a boundary uh, boundary corner when your CB2 moves into the nickel position. I think that's kind of the way to go, especially in today's NFL, where teams try to move their wide receiver one into the slot to take advantage of mismatches there. CB3 isn't necessarily as important, but if if he has to be able to run, just because what they'll do a lot of times, most a lot of offenses will try and bring their number one receiver into the slot, draw in the number two corner or number one corner who plays in the nickel, and then try and go deep on whoever that weakest link is that came in on nickel. So you need a guy who can actually match up with that and stand by himself on, on the boundary. After that, and I think this is specific for the Broncos, I think off-ball linebacker one is important. I think it's interesting that Todd Davis was this guy last year because I think there's a distinction between off-ball backer one and off-ball backer two in Fangio's defense. Off-ball backer one is the guy who ends up covering the slot more often. I think that guy has to have some coverage ability. And everybody talks about how bad Todd Davis is just because he ran a slow 40. What they miss is the fact that his agility drills are actually really good. They were as good as Devin Bush's last year. I actually went and dug this up. Uh, and it also we, – we think about Darren Waller or we think about Travis Kelsey – but Todd Davis was in over 100 coverage snaps last year in the slot, and he held okay. I do think you can upgrade there, and I think that's the reason why Fangio wants to go like 60 Bs or get a uh, linebacker upgrade. We'll talk about that more next week. Tertiary receiver is the next one. I think, again, going back to the offensive stuff, I think ideally Shermer wants to have a third receiver that actually makes a difference. After that, tight end or slot, depending on whoever that tertiary receiver is. Basically, if you have a – Noah Fant would be the tertiary receiver, ideally. So then you need to have a slot. I think this could be Deshaun Hamilton, but I'm not sure. Uh, and then I think after that, your edge two. Denver is going to probably have a better edge two than I think Fangio necessarily needs. But if Bradley Chubb makes the jump, that's probably perfectly okay. But this edge two basically is the guy that takes advantage of the mismatches that edge one causes. But he also has to be able to drop in coverage. Done. So there's our rosters. <laughs> so uh, since we didn't talk quarterback, though, I I, I can't let, let me segue this because I, I have to ask you about this just because I had a couple different things that came up today. So I've been listening to way too many podcasts lately just because <laughs> just because I have obviously with like a life situation. But what's interesting is the fact that there's no pro days and no medical checkups from teams. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah from Move the Sticks brought up the fact that because teams aren't able to work out players, players with medical histories are probably going to have a hard time getting drafted as highly as they did before. Just because if teams don't feel comfortable without having their own medical grade on a guy, they may not draft him at all. Now, I don't think this will be the case for Tua Tagovailoa. But I know Matt Miller on uh, Stick to Football actually brought the fact that there's a number of teams that have Justin Herbert ahead of Tua because of his medical questions. So hypothetically speaking, if Joe Burrow or Tua Tagovailoa fall to 15, and I don't think Burrow will at all, but if either one of them fall to 15, would you do anything about it or would you just let it be because of Drew Locke? I think the question splits extremely differently based on those two players. So to me – Tua is not in the same class as Joe Burrow, and particularly because of some of his medical issues as well. But then also, I just think, um, you know, the season that Joe Burrow had, 
I don't think you can, you could pass him up. I mean, can you imagine Denver, like, I'm as big a Drew Locke fan out there, and, you know, I'm excited about him, but can you imagine if Denver had the opportunity for Joe Burrow, who everybody is saying, you know, is the consensus number one guy, and he will, he'll go number one, you know, he's not going to drop to 15, but for the hypothetical, if he does, if he drops to 15, can you imagine Denver not picking him, and then Drew Locke, for some reason, you know, fizzles out or something in two years, the ire that would be directed for, I mean, that would set the franchise back for decades if you see Joe Burrow lighting the league on fire and Denver had a chance to get him. So I don't think you can ever have, you could ever go wrong picking another talented quarterback because you could always trade one of them or, you know, something like that. Now that's for Joe Burrow. For me, Tua doesn't fall into that category of like can't miss prospects. I think he's, you know, extremely talented. So if he falls to 15 for Denver, I think if you're the Broncos, you start making calls and you set the price tag really high and let people come up and get him and you get a haul in the draft. I'm right there with you on Burrow. I think if Burrow somehow fell, the only reason he would fall to 15 is if somebody found like a dead body in his car or something. <laughs> so I, and I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously I'm not trying to speak that of Joe Burrow. Uh, but if he was there, I, I think you have to take him. I, you either have to take him or you have to sell that pick for a lot, a lot, a lot. And if you sell that pick, you better not be wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it, and we split here because I think really high, highly of Tua I think if Tua is there and you feel comfortable with the medicals, and again, I'm not a doctor. I didn't get to see I didn't get to see his medicals at the combine, none of that stuff. But if I feel comfortable with Tua's medicals, I think Tua Tagovailoa, if he can stay healthy, is a top could become his ceiling is like a top three quarterback in this in the NFL. Now, again, because of the medicals, I don't know if he ever gets there. So I'm in the dark on that, but it'd be hard. It'd be hard to pass on him because, like you said, I think if you take him. And say Drew Locke starts this year and he plays really well and you give Tua the whole year to rest, and Drew Locke plays well enough and he keeps the job, you can trade Tua off to somebody next year if you had to. That said, if somebody offers me a haul at 15 because Tua's there, I'm probably taking it. So either way, like I'd be opportunistic is how I would approach it. I Quarterbacks are too valuable to just, just say, oh, we have our guy, when you don't know. And I think at the end of the day, I think you and I both have talked about this a lot. We both like Drew Locke. We both watch this tape a lot, but we don't know, and no one knows. Like, LA might think really highly of him, but we saw five games. You don't know what Drew Locke is yet. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is you the way the NFL is at quarterback, and even if Drew Locke had had eight games or 16 games playing the way that he did, like – you don't have your guy in the NFL until you have your guy until, you know, he's either signed the extension or he's Patrick Mahomes. Like you're always in the market or you're always listening if you're a smart NFL team. And that's even, I mean, I would say that for a team like the San Francisco 49ers or something like that, where you have a solid guy in Jimmy Garoppolo who just took you to, or just, you know, went with you to the Super Bowl. Um, I think they should be looking. I think you know any team that isn't in the top ten. Um, you saw what the Cardinals did with um, Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen. You know they spent a first round pick on Josh Rosen, and then they turn around and pick Kyler Murray. You're like until you have your guy, you keep picking. And so, and I don't say that be- to because I want to replace Drew Lock because I think the flip side of that is, especially in Denver, I think 
Broncos country is absolutely, you know, could not survive another quarterback controversy, and it wouldn't be good for the team. It wouldn't be good for, you know, bringing guys in. I don't like the idea of a quarterback competition because I don't think it's actually, you know, useful or a competition. Um, I think I agree. you got I think you got to hand the keys to Drew Locke and let him, you know, and see what he does. Like at this point, Denver's committed to that, but you know. I, I don't think it is unfair to what you just said. Like, we don't know about Drew Locke, and that's fine. Like, we're willing to give him a year and let him see what happens. But if you had an opportunity to take a guy like, you know, a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow, I don't think you could pass it. And I think you'd be foolish to pass is the big thing. Because, again, a, a player or a prospect like that, unless they go out and look like Josh Rosen – they're not going to lose value. Like the league is so starved for good quarterback play and the quarterback play is so important to the league. And the thing is with, with Drew Locke, I agree with you. And I think that's why I made such a big thing about the Cam Newton idea that got floated last week. And I, I, I saw it. It was a, it was a lot of blowback about Jameis Winston also just because Drew Locke, it doesn't make sense now that we've seen five games of him to suddenly pick up a guy with the idea that the first time Drew Locke throws an interception you have local media, certain members of the local media suddenly saying, oh, well, Cam Newton was an MVP five years ago. Cam Newton should come in now. Like, that doesn't do anybody any good. And so with that in mind, like, I think it's a very different conversation between, like, a Joe Burrow and a Cam Newton just because of that. I think we kind of know what Cam Newton is. If Joe Burrow reaches his ceiling, he very well could be a better player than what Cam Newton was. So, um, and I think it's a different conversation than like Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. I think one of them will be there at 15. Uh, since the 49ers traded up to 13, I think the way the – and the way the free agency worked out for quarterbacks in the on the market, I don't think four quarterbacks go in the top 14 anymore. I think either Justin Herbert or Jordan Love fall to 15. And I think at that point, if I was Denver, I would look to trade back if at all possible just because if someone's going to offer me a third or a fourth-round pick and a third and a fourth – you know, some sort of haul – to move back, it's probably worth it. I'm all about collecting day two capital. I'm like that guy, but I wouldn't take either one of them and I wouldn't even consider it because I think there's too much overlap. They're both project players and Denver is already a year ahead on that kind of project. So give him 2020 and see where he is. If De- if he's not the guy in 2021, obviously quarterback becomes the highest priority again. Yeah. And I think you, you hit it on the head when you said, you know, Denver has the opportunity to be opportunistic. And I think that's what Denver needs to do. And we'll talk more, you know, next time as we get into very specific draft needs and what Denver should do, um, you know, to kind of put a bow on everything. We've talked about the position groups and kind of our ranking of where, you know, the positions that should be the most important to teams. And really Denver, if you stack them up against it, doesn't do too bad. And so I think, you know, we'll talk next week about very specific needs that Denver still does have, but I think Denver is in a pretty good spot right now that they can be opportunistic within the draft at number 15. They could either trade back, they could, you know, target one guy and trade up potentially if you want them to, or they just sit there at 15 and let the draft come to them. And so I think they're in a good enough position you know, if you kind of walk them through some of these checklists that we've put together of the most important positions, Denver's sitting pretty good from an age perspective, too. They've got young guys that really fit some of these bills, which is really, you know, exciting. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I love draft season so much. It's really exciting to look at the roster like this with kind of like a shopping list. So, no. Well, like I said, we'll dig in more to this at our next episode. Um, you may not have to wait a week to hear us again. I know everyone will be. Super excited about that to hear us 
more than I'm, I'm being facetious, by the way. Um, but no, you get you get an extra dose of Cover Two Broncos potentially um, this week, and we'll dig in uh, to, to some more draft stuff as we continue on this journey to the draft.